0: Amen, amen. Um, I, I named this the sermon's mission impossible um, because Christmas—the story of Christmas—really was an impossible mission. It, it was—it was inconceivable. It was unimaginable. It was, it was certainly unattainable. It, it was impossible. But only until it wasn't. Uh, only until something unique happen. It was impossible for a virgin to give birth. Everyone understands that, right? But yet it was only impossible until it wasn't. And I want to correlate that in our message today with with the Lord's help that how many here are Christians? How many know it's an impossible mission? Until it's not. The things we're called to to be and do in ourselves are impossible for us to be and do uh, until they're not. And I want to just sort of try to unpack that. We're we're going to be using the the Christmas story, Luke 2, or Luke 1 rather, um, starting with verse 26. and We're going to work that through, but... The key verse that I'm, I'm going to just springboard off of in our time together today is, is verse 37, where Gabriel, the angel of God, is saying this. He says, for nothing will be impossible for God. How many are thankful for that? Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, that, that word, let's do a little foundation work. Um, that word in Greek has two meanings, that, that word impossible. The first one means to be incapable of. Um, a lack of ability, uh, to lack of skill or understanding or, or experience, that, that you, you don't have the ability to do something. The other word means uh, you're, you're, in, you're without strength to get it done. You don't have the power to get it done. There's an absence of, of might. There's an absence of, of resource. There's an absence of, of influence, what, whatever, but th- you're, you're incapable and without strength to do whatever it is that's in front of you to do, and, and both are necessary. One doesn't really exist without the other, and, and both involve a lack of capacity. We just don't, for whatever the reason, we don't have the capacity to accomplish whatever the task is, or to, to change the circumstance in our life that, that we're faced with, or to to make the adjustment necessary to, to whatever we're confronted with so that it will turn out right, so that it will work properly. We don't have the capacity to make it happen. And so from our end, it's it feels like an impossible mission. It feels like something that's just is going to overwhelm us. And it makes you pause and wonder, what, what about your life today? Does, does that speak into any ish, issues or areas in, in your life today, things that you're experiencing or that you have experienced in the past? Um you know, Pastor Jeremy has referred to a, a few times about his little hiatus from, from walking with the Lord. There was a time in his life for a period of time where he just um, took a left-hand turn and, and started uh, doing and living in ways o- opposite um, of what he, what he knew. And, and um, he shared that with, with you at different times. And I remember those days. Um, you know, for him, that period was a crisis of faith. He had to figure out who he was and who Jesus was going to be to him and in him. Um, and thank God, with by God's grace, he figured it out. Um, so for him, it was a crisis of faith. But can I tell you something? For Marilyn and I, it was mission impossible. For Marilyn and I, it, it was a realization that Life is fragile and that in, in all honesty there's a lot of things we just don't have the capacity to control. We don't have the capacity to make them turn out the way we want them to. Uh, I remember those sleepless nights. I remember those thoughts. And, and listen, we tried everything we could think of. We we tracked down his friends. We tracked down his enemies. We, we did our best to, to do everything we can to just make contact. Or just to figure out, is he still in the city? We, we, and we realized that what was making it so very, very hard, along with the fact that this is your child that you feel is in jeopardy, is you don't have the capacity of what it takes. You don't have the ability. You don't have the strength necessary to change the situation. That, that's a terrible place to be. But yet, in our, in our lives, in different times, to different degrees, we find ourselves there, don't we? I would bet everybody here, if we took time, could go around and give a little story of some moment in their life, some experience in their life, some maybe something you're in right now that feels impossible and in your own strength is, in fact, impossible. Uh, you, you, you have that prodigal child out there. You, you have a past hurt or, or wound that you just can't get over, that uh, you're, you're, you know, you're your money runs out before the month does. And, and, and these are things that you just can't get a hold of and you can't change. And, and life has this way of, of demanding of us, putting situations in our way that, that are beyond our capacity. They're beyond our ability. And to us, they are impossible. That's what's happening here in Luke 1. Mary, this little young teenage girl, is being confronted with an impossible situation. She has little to actually no capacity compared to that which is being asked of her. She has no capacity to to make this thing happen. What Gabriel was telling her seemed impossible, was impossible. What he was asking her was impossible. The fact that she was just having this conversation with an angel sent from heaven by God is impossible. In human terms, in human understanding and capabilities. The whole story of Christmas was an impossible thing from human standards. We couldn't make it happen. It was impossible, but only until it wasn't. The text is telling us something important that that I want to be a take-home for all of us today, that the incarnation of Christ tells us something very important, and it tells us, and should bring us great hope, that with God, even the impossible becomes possible. Amen? We need to remember that. We need to get that drill deep inside of our, of our heart and our spirit. Because we're going to face impossibilities in life. We're going to face things bigger and stronger and more able and powerful than us. So today what I want to do out of our text, I want to pull out five impossibilities that the incarnation made possible. Okay? Five impossibilities that the incarnation says are now possible. Possible, and I hope it it builds your faith. Um, Lily has already prayed for the service and for the message, so I'm not going to take time to do it. Luke 1, verse 26. We're going to start with this one, impossible faith. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now let's pause for a minute. Um, not uncommon, right? We've read the introduction to this story who knows how many times. How many believe it? Show hands. How do you believe it? Really? You, you believe this is true? This is literally, I mean, it really happened. This isn't a story, fiction. This really happened. Okay. Let me ask a question. How do you believe it? Did your intellect tell you that? Did did personal experience tell you that? Did history tell you that? Did science come to that finding? How how is it that you're so confident to quickly respond, yeah, I believe that, literally, it's true. And you're you're just sure of it. How do you believe that? (laughs) There's the word. <laughs> now we're going to get theological by faith by faith right that, that we believe it by faith and it's faith that gave Mary the capacity to believe that she could receive that which she couldn't conceive that's the only reason otherwise she should have left the room running and screaming but something happened inside of her and by faith, she not only heard the word the angel brought to her, but she agreed with it. She believed it. She, she gave it credibility. Now, here's the next question. All right. Came by faith. Where does faith come from? How did she find the This is a poor teenage girl being asked this unbelievable thing. She believes that this is really right and proper. Where did the faith to believe it come from? Because it's a question we have to think about our own lives too. When it, we talk about our spiritual journey. How does, a, how does a dead spirit find faith to believe in God? F- certainly for salvation or for anything else. But certainly for salvation how can an unregenerate soul that's where we started out right how how can it act and express and move in faith The, the we we lack whatever it takes to really have faith in god we there's nothing in us we don't have the capacity to have faith in god prior to salvation in fact Prior to salvation, we don't even know we need saved. We don't even have an awareness. Romans 1 gives us that, that scenario that we live our lives before salvation. We live our lives just void of God. No need for God. Not even a need for an awareness or the concept of God do we feel we need to retain in our minds. Because we, we, are, we are dead. Doesn't, isn't that what the Bible says? That we were dead in trespasses and sin? Dead things can't express faith. Dead things can't act in faith. It's an impossible situation. But yet here's Mary. How did she have faith to, now in her case, to physically receive and carry the life of Christ? Because that answer is also going to be our answer. How do we? find faith spiritually, to receive, believe, accept, and act on the person of Jesus Christ, to carry his life in our life. Well, maybe the apostle Paul can help us. Let's let's turn quickly to Romans 10. Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Every one of us should say amen, because if you're a Christian today, that covers you. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe? See, they can't, they can't call him because there's nothing in us to believe in him. And how can they believe in him about who they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? There's no capacity. You see, you see the, we're void of the capacity to call on the name of, of the Lord to be saved. Verse 15, and how will anyone go and, and, and tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And, and when I read that, I, I put in my notes, and I'm, I'm just going to throw it out and, and then move on. But a, a good meditation for each of us based on that verse. Go, go home sometime and ask yourself, how beautiful are my feet? That could be a message in itself. Never mind. Verse 18, but not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Not everyone believes. And then here's the key verse here, 17. So faith comes by hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. So here's, here's our answer. How, do we, how, how does an unregenerate soul find faith to believe in God? To receive his life into our lives. Paul makes it simple. When a person hears the good news about Jesus. Now there are some people who hear the good news and aren't changed, right? So there's there's something about the word of God. Remember the word of God is not like any other book you read. The the word of God is, is a living thing. The word of God is God breathed. The Holy Spirit breathed on holy men who wrote, and that word carries that inspiration. The word of God is is alive, and when a person hears the word of God contained within that word is the faith necessary to believe it. Do you understand that? It's important. Nobody gets saved without hearing the good news about Jesus. Nobody does. Nobody gets saved without hearing the good news. Not, not just reading the Word of God. I, I don't know anyone who ever got saved because they read Leviticus. I mean, I guess maybe it's possible. But chances are you got saved because suddenly there was an awareness and the Word of God, the truth about Jesus Christ came alive inside of you. And with that Word was the faith to believe. It was attached to that word because we weren't able to produce that faith for ourselves. That's why Ephesians um, 2, 8, and 9 tells us that, that this faith isn't of our own doing. That it's not a result of our own works that we could take any kind of credit for, but that we're saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, through Christ alone. No other way. Grace, faith, Christ not in us. That's the good news that we need to hear. And with that good news comes the capacity to believe it, the capacity to receive it. Now, listen, not everyone responds positively to that good news. We we know that. We understand that. Some are closed. Some run away. Some feel the unction or the, the conviction in the moment, but they reject it. And sometimes what keeps us from sharing our faith or telling people the good news about Christ is the very reason that we're afraid, well, they won't believe it or they'll reject it. And then we think we did something wrong. Can I tell you something? There's no magic words. You don't save anybody. You can't present the gospel in such a perfect way that that is going to make someone receive the Lord. The power is in the telling. The power is in the simple message. The faith to believe is attached to the word of God. Can people reject it? Yes. Yes, they can. Because other than salvation, there's times in our own lives, in our own spiritual journeys, where the Lord has spoke to us, and with that word of direction or instruction or whatever it was, was the faith to accept it, believe it, understand it, and do it, and we said no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It it happens. It it happens. So the incarnation, point number one, the incarnation makes impossible faith possible. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That he made possible what we couldn't do in ourselves so that we could receive his life into our life. Number two, impossible grace. Verse verse 28 says, "And and he came to her and said, This is Gabriel, the angel. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said there, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. I love Mary's response. She just didn't know what to do with it. Trouble doesn't mean she was rejecting it, but she was trying to understand it. She was trying to wrap her arms around. What what does this mean? Because she recognized that she had no capacity for what the angel was telling her. You are highly favored with God. She recognized there was nothing in her that made sense that that statement would be directed at her. She, she, she just couldn't get it. What do you mean I'm, I'm highly favored and, and that the Lord is with me? That's, that's so far beyond and outside my understanding or capabilities Is certainly nothing that, that I've done. I'm, I'm just this poor little teen girl that you know, I'm from a poor family in a little town and nobody knows me and I, you know, I have simple education and there's no reason that that statement should be directed at me. And when you begin to understand really what grace means, you start recognizing that from our perspective it's impossible that god would favor us that god would grace us in any way you you know you've heard the acronym and it's it's worth repeating that grace is god's riches at at christ's expense that god takes his his riches okay which is Himself, he takes his goodness, his kindness, and his love, and his strength, and his power, and his character. He takes all that he is, and he makes it available to us through the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. And then he resides in us. He gives us his presence. Listen, on our own, grace is not only amazing, it's impossible. Do you understand that? Because you can't deserve it. You can't earn it. There's nothing that's so great about any one of us. I, I, I'm sorry to tell you this that that makes us deserve God's grace. That we can nothing we can do to earn God's grace. Mary had no virtue that qualified her to carry the life of Jesus. No merit, no sufficiency in herself, no exceptional character or characteristic, which is the very essence of grace. If you have Um, no skill, no merit, no talent, no no holiness, no worthiness to the level that would would earn God's favor, you're a candidate for his grace. You're, You're the exact vessel he wants to pour his grace upon. Mary had no foundation for God to give his grace and direct his grace at her, and Mary's not the only one. How many of you here know the gospel story? Like the, the, the things that if we went through that, you know, the, the incarnation's not new to you, crucifixion's not new to you, the resurrection's not new to you, the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, some of the parables and different things—it's—it's it, it's not new to you. His 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 ascension back to the Father, his promised return—none of that, none of that's new to you. Can I tell you something? If if that's not new to you. You're highly favored. You're highly favored. God's grace has been poured out upon you because it's the only way you know it. It's the only way that has become real inside of your life is because God has put and extended his grace to you. Because his grace doesn't just come for salvation. His grace is poured out every day. Every day. Right now, you are recipients of God's grace. As, as you sit here, as you're living your life, you are a recipient of God's grace. Every day, in every circumstance, in every situation, and there's testimonies in the room that would, that would validate this. Every day there is, there is grace. There's enough grace from God to you so that you can stand, so you can face the day, so you can believe, so that you can trust, so you can wait, so that you can o- obey, so that you can worship, you can rest, you can be joyful, you can forgive, you can have hope. You can overcome. That's not of yourself. It's the grace of God being made available to you. Somebody should say amen. Amen. Somebody should be thankful. Every day, just like his mercy, grace comes fresh, new. Every day there's grace. But can I tell you something else? If there's anyone here or anyone who, who would ever listen to this, maybe online or something, that even if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, Or maybe you've distanced yourself from the Lord. Maybe you're one of those prodigal stories where you just sort of struck out on your own. And and, oh yeah, God's out there somewhere and he's cool. But there's no real relationship. There's no real daily striving and walking with him and and enjoying him in, in relationship. Even to you, you're highly favored. You're highly favored of God. And the reason isn't because you're living this perfect life or you're not living this perfect life. The reason is because you're hearing this word. Faith comes by in hearing the word of God. And you're hearing the word of God today. And that's all that had happened to Mary so far. She had heard the word of God and made her favored. It was God's grace being made, um, being poured out upon her. In that moment, God is being gracious to every one of us today, which tells us something. Our second point, the incarnation makes the impossible grace of God possible in our lives. And I'm thankful for that. Number three, it's an impossible call. Verse 31, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, there'll be no end. This is what she is being called to do to bear this life and birth this life into the earth. How many would you say that's a big call? That, right? That, that's a big call. You're, you're, I'm asking you as a teenage virgin to carry the life of the Son of God and to full term and bring him in the earth. And he's going to be known as the, the most high. He's going to sit on David's throne. He's going to rule over his people forever. And his kingdom is never going to end. His kingdom is going to be an ever-increasing kingdom. Can I tell you something? From Mary's perspective, this isn't a life plan she came up with on her own. This isn't something she devised. She she had no aspiration at any moment for one nanosecond in her life to be the mother of the Messiah. It never entered her thinking that she would be the vessel or the conduit through which Jesus would be brought into the world. She had no understanding that this could be a call of her life. And the purpose of that call that was given to Mary is the same purpose for the call God has placed on your life. To belong to him. And to live your life for him. Just as Mary was called to carry the life of Christ in a natural sense. If you're a Christian today, you're called to carry the life of Christ into the world. You're called to make Jesus known into your world. You're called to live in such a way that you carry and display the person of Jesus Christ through the way you conduct your life, through the way you've surrendered your life, and he is living in and through you. And can I tell you something? There's no higher call. As a human being, there's there's no greater call. You can't attain to anything else greater than that reality. I don't care how much money you earn. I don't care what kind of titles you get. I don't know how many de- care how many degrees you get. I, it, it just doesn't matter how popular you are, how famous you are. It, it, none of it compares to this high call of God that we carry in us the life of Jesus in a very real way. And that we're to manifest that life to the world, to our world to your neighborhood, to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your to your um, classmates. You are to carry the life of Christ into the world because that's your calling. We share that calling. I, and I want to say, tell, tell you something. As Christians, we, we have to be very careful that we don't get too comfortable with our calling. Let me try and explain what I mean by, by that. If, if If we forget the impossibility, the fact that you're sitting here as a son of God, as a daughter of God. If we forget the impossibility of that call from our side, then I'll tell you what proceeds from that spiritually. Complacency. Apathy. Dullness. Spiritual dullness. distraction other things start rising in importance. If we live our lives, we're Christians, God saved us. I'm not minimizing or or negating that. But if we live our lives and we think we play the leading role in our own story, we're doing it wrong. We're thinking wrong. I want to burst some bubbles today, maybe. If you think you're a Christian today and your being a Christian today was your idea, you're wrong. If you think you accepted Jesus all on your own, you're wrong. Every disciple Jesus has, he called. Nobody, nobody gets in the, in the family uninvited. Nobody's going to get into heaven unknown. Jesus isn't going to be walking around heaven one day and an attorney say, hey, how'd you get here?" It's, it's, it's not going to happen. Listen, you didn't find God, He called you. You didn't produce the faith required for salvation. He did. You didn't provide the grace to receive such faith. He did. You didn't put your name, write your name in the Lamb's book of life. He did. And can I tell you something, God was never lost. You were, I was, and we would still be there if out of his grace, he didn't call us out of our darkness into his marvelous light. It's the only way it happened. So it's real important. It's very important today that we don't ever let our call become common. That we don't get too comfortable in our call. That we don't get lazy or lax or just forgetful. That every day, every day you should get up and remind yourself, I'm called of God. And let the reality of that soak in. I'm called of God. That has to mean something. That doesn't just mean, oh, yeah, back when I was you know, eight years old, I went to an altar and I cried a little and gave my heart to the Lord. That, no, that, that's not it. You're called of God. You're a child of God, son of God, commissioned. With a calling comes a commission. You are an assignment. Mary was receiving an assignment. Impossible. Until it wasn't. And you're on an assignment. The incarnation makes this impossible call because it is, from our end, but makes it possible. You can conquer things, you can do things in life that you can't until you do because you're called of God. And everyone he calls, he equips. Everyone he calls, whatever he calls you to, he gives you the capacity to do it. And in the doing and in the looking back on the having done it, You're going to recognize something. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. It was the power of the call. It was the life of Christ in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number four. Oh, gosh. How about an impossible transformation? Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this this be? Since I'm a virgin, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, of course, Mary asked the obvious question How is this, how is this possible? What you're, what you're talking about, what you're describing, this is an impossibility. And she's saying, How is this possible? Because she knew she didn't have the capacity. She didn't have the capacity on any level, and now she doesn't have the capacity for the call that he's, he's putting on her life. Which makes us ask a question, how, how do you respond to God's call? How do I respond to God's call? Too often, and I'll admit in my own life, too often I, I respond like Moses. Here I am, Lord. Send Aaron. <laughs> and then all of my reasons which is a bad word. All of my excuses. I don't, you know, Moses, I don't speak too well. I'm slow of speech. I, I, they, they don't like me in Egypt. I, you know, I, I'm a fugitive from Egypt. It's not going to go well for me. And, and, and even if I go, Israel doesn't like me all that much. And how, why are they going to just suddenly start listening to me? Why are they going to believe me to, for, for such a task? And he, he starts listing all of his excuses to get out of what God's calling him to do, but I love Mary didn't make excuses. She just had a a valid question about what was, she wasn't rejecting the call in any way. She wasn't questioning the validity of the call in any way, and she wasn't trying to sidestep the call. She was saying something that really is just a logical question. She says, how can this be? You're asking me to be something I'm not. That's a valid question. And can I tell you something? That question is a consistent part of God's call in your life. In fact, sometimes it's the proof that it is God's call. Because it's bigger than you. Because it's more than you. Because in the moment, you can't even fathom, well, how could I ever do that? How could I ever be that? And it it doesn't change. Because the call in our humanity... It is impossible. The transformation necessary is impossible for us. Do you ever go out and try and act like Jesus? On your own strength? you ever try and go out and, and just, you know. there There's there people who try it. They do try to do a whole lot of things in Jesus' name. And it doesn't work. It just, it just doesn't work. There, there, there's, there's, because there has to be transformation in the process. In order to walk out the call, we have to surrender to the process of transformation. Okay? Be- because when we were called, we had no capacity. We're called, we accept. Guess what? We still have no capacity. <laughs> right? But there's great potential. Now there's great possibility. And that's where transformation comes in. That- that's where as, as Gabriel introduces, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Mary, there, there's, there's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. You, you don't have to try and clean yourself up. You don't have to try and fix things in your own life. You don't have to suddenly go, you know, go enroll in college and get a Bible degree. You don't have to, there's nothing you have to do except... You have to allow the Holy Spirit to inhabit your life. You have to let the Spirit of God come upon you and do what only he can do. The Holy Spirit's going to come in a way that you've never experienced. But he's, in his coming and in his residing, he's going to begin and do a transformation in you that will make you successful, capable, of carrying the life of Jesus. And that is true for us today. Don't, don't, don't make this interchange. You know, what Gabriel said about, you know, the Holy Spirit's coming upon you and power of the is going to overshadow you. And that, that, that's mysterious. I get it. It is mysterious. I can't fully explain it to you. But let's not make it so mysterious that it puts it out of reach. Let Let's remember what Paul wrote to the, Corinthian church. He says, and we all with with an unveiled face, just with an open face, let's just honestly come and behold the glory of the Lord. See, that's the posture of a believer. We we come before the Lord open-faced. That means no excuse. We don't come perfectly. We come as we are. And we come beholding him. We keep our eyes fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. In every circumstance, in each day of our lives, we behold his glory. And the Bible says as we do that, it's as we're beholding him, that we are transformed into that same image from glory to glory. Listen, by the spirit of God. That's transformation. And you can't do it. But he can. The spirit of God that's in you is in you for this primary purpose, to transform your life. He comes. Do you remember it was a time before Jesus left? He's resurrected before he left. He says, I'm going to send another comforter. And he told them that right after he told them something else. He said, you see the works I've done? Greater works than these you're going to do. How did that sit inside the ears of the disciples? They had seen Jesus do some pretty great things. In fact, there were some times they had to go to him and said, hey, we tried to do it. We couldn't do it. So you're going to have to make up for us. (laughs) Greater things than these you're going to do. How is this going to happen? Because I'm going to send you another comforter. Because I'm sending you a resource. Because I'm sending you a part of myself. Because I'm sending you the third person of the triune God. And get this. He's going to be with you. Oh, that's comforting. He's going to be in you. And he's in us for one primary purpose. To reshape, to recreate, to redesign us back into the image in which we were originally created. Christ-likeness. He's there to do that transformative work in our hearts and in our lives. God answers our impossibility by sending his Holy Spirit. And with his spirit in us, impossible things are possible. You know where he says, love your enemies? Do you know you can do that? You know where it says that you know that person that that just destroyed your life? Whatever they said or did, it it literally destroyed your life. They that person that abused you, that you can forgive them. No, it's impossible. I'll never forgive them. You can. Because I'm in you. And I'll make it possible. And I can heal you of the hurt, and I can heal you of the wound, and I can heal you of all the effects that have devastated you. I can heal your heart. I can heal your mind. See, do we believe that God really can do the impossible in those areas? Do we really believe that God can recreate his life in us? One of my favorite life verses, Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work is going to be faithful to continue to perform it. That every day the Holy Spirit shows up in your life to transform us more and more into the person of Jesus Christ. Every single day the Spirit of God is at work in us and that the incarnation says that impossible transformation is possible. Totally possible. Totally doable. Last one, number five, impossible community. Impossible community. And behold, your relative Elizabeth... In her old old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, with her who was called barren. You you know the story of Elizabeth, um, mother of John the Baptist, who in their old age, again Gabriel showed up. You gotta be wary if Gabriel shows up in your house. You better. (laughs) And that whole go to the first part of the first chapter of Luke, and you can read that account if you're, if you're not aware of it. But this, this elderly woman, her cousin, Elizabeth, who was barren and had no children, is now pregnant by, just by the hand of God, by the grace and mercy of God. Not as Mary was. It was a natural conception. But the angel tells her that you're not alone in this thing, that, that your, your cousin Elizabeth, She's in a similar situation. Because, you know, when the angel is, is telling Mary this, she had to be thinking in her mind the ramifications. She had to be thinking in her mind, okay, th- this is all cool and, and there's something here that I think is real and I think is right. But she had to also be thinking about what that's going to do. What some of the possible costs in moving in this direction would be. What, what's what's going to happen with her fa- family? What's going to happen with her friends? she was engaged what's going to happen to my plan all my wedding plans that, that we've laid out what's going to happen in, in my you know, she's of a Jewish community were they going to exempt her from synagogue for being able to come and attend synagogue because the synagogue was the central was the hub of community in, in the Jewish culture what's going to happen to all that she had to be thinking about Potential of, for rejection and abandonment and ridicule and criticism. And, you know, strange looks and pointy fingers and, and little whispers off in the corner. She had to be aware of that all that was possible. And, and Gabriel comes with this encouragement. It's interesting that the encouragement involved community. It says your cousin Elizabeth. She, she's carrying a child too that, that is orchestrated, was orchestrated by God. It's interesting because it, it's still true about us as human beings. One of the first things we think about when we think about any kind of change in life, any kind of event in life, one of the first things comes in our mind, or at least maybe it's not a deciding fact, I hope it's not, but it enters our minds, what are my friends going to say? What's my husband going to think? What's my wife going to think? We, we, because community is important to us. Because community is vital. Because we live in community. So you need to know something. As Christians, a decision for Christ is a, a decision also about community. About the kind of community that you're going to give yourself to. About the kind of community you're going to live within. Because Christians walk together. Christians find Christians to do life with. And sometimes we wanna make our walk with Jesus just our walk with Jesus. Can I tell you something? If you want the privilege and the honor of calling God your Father, you have to recognize something. Hard pill to swallow. You're not an only child. There's a whole bunch of us that came along with that choice. Brothers and sisters, the Bible calls us, in relationship with each other. And it's not figurative. It's really not. It's eternally real. Look around the room. You're going to see these people in heaven. Look around the room. These are the people God has put in your life to commune with. To, have, to build community with. There's, there's people in this room that you should be getting to know and for, to allow them to get to know you. Community is vitally important. Can I tell you something? And some of you have probably already realized it. When you choose to walk with the Lord, when you choose to receive his gift of salvation and commit your life to, to serve him and following after him, you have to understand that there is a price. And the price is that it will affect all of your relationships. At least it should. Does that mean to be a Christian, you got to walk away from everybody else in your life? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that if Christ really is going to reside in you, and you're going to walk with him in a very practical, real way, audible, visible way, You're not not hiding the fact that you're a Christian. If you're going to walk and live as a daughter or a son of God, people are going to notice and it will make a naturally, it'll make a shift. There are some people who have been part of your life who will continue to be so. And I would consider that low hanging fruit. Those are people you got to go after. Those are people you've got to, because obviously there's something in the relationship where they believe you, they trust you. Those are folks that you can win for for Jesus, for the kingdom. There's some people who will walk away. It's just a reality. It may hurt. But there's some people who are going to distance themselves because they just don't get it. And they don't understand because you used to be such a fun person. You used to drink us under the table. You used to talk like a sailor. It was fun. I don't get this new you. And they're going to just sort of step out. There's some you may need to walk away from. Won't be many, but there may be few. That you need to distance your because it's a toxic thing. Because it 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 endangers your walk with the Lord. Because that specific relationship has a grip and a hold. That you may have to make adjustments to the relationship for. So the angel says, Mary, I know that here's here's one thing that that I know you need, you need community. So there's Elizabeth. And Elizabeth will understand better than anyone else where you're at and what you're experiencing and what you're going through. There's a big part of living a life as a Christian that only Christians get. There's a big part of, of walking this thing out with the Lord that only other people who are walking the same thing out with the Lord can understand. That you can have a conversation with and they actually have some input to give back and the two of you can encourage each other in it. You're struggling with lying and you feel convicted about telling the truth or not telling the truth. You go to unsaved people and they don't even know that lying's bad. That's just a tactic. That's just a strategy. There's some community when we run to it, we need to find certain things. Mary took advantage. She went to see Elizabeth, and it says she did it quickly. She didn't waste any time. She went and and hunted down Elizabeth, took the initiative on herself. Listen, don't sit in church saying, I have no friends. Because nobody came up to me. Getting in trouble. And she didn't just go visit. She hung out. Said she stayed three months. They say typically when someone visits your house, three days is like the limit. Three months. She hung out. She, She soaked in all that she could. She she received from Elizabeth, and I'm sure she was an encouragement to Elizabeth as well. In fact, it says that when Mary walked in the room, Elizabeth said, the the baby inside me leaped at the sound of your voice because the Holy Spirit was present. The incarnation makes impossible community possible. How how else could you have a community that's going to be eternal? You know, friends come and go. Community lasts a lifetime. And in the Christian realm, community lasts for eternity. You know what? You need to stand with me so I can end this thing. Because there's one more component necessary. It'll only take a second. In order for the impossible to become possible in our lives, Gabriel, again, where we started, Gabriel's declaration at the end of his presentation and with, this is the last thing he's going to tell Mary for nothing will be impossible with God. And he's done. Maybe there was an awkward that awkward pause of silence. I, I don't know what happened at that point but not, from Mary's perspective, nothing happened. All that Gabriel laid out, here's what's going to happen. All these things God's going to do Because nothing's impossible for him. And nothing happens. Because everything God offers to her, everything God offers to us, almost all the time is conditional. There's There's almost always something attached to it that we do have to do. Revelation, there's a verse in Revelation 3, I think, says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I can't get over the picture of that every time I I hear or think of that verse. King of the universe, creator of the universe, God standing at the door, my front door knocking. Are you kidding me? Waiting permission? From me? It's a scary picture. To me it's it's just a, a frightening picture. There's all this that the angel laid out in front of Mary that are possibilities now. Faith and grace and calling and transformation and communities all now available and it's all possible, but nothing happened until Mary said, Here I am, I'm a servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word, Gabriel. Everything you just said, God wants to do, and He's calling me to, and that He wants to accomplish in my life. I'm on, I'm in, I'm all in. It required acceptance. It required surrender. And then when she did, the moment she did, everything God said became efficacious in her life. Was activated. Do you ever get your new credit card and you have to call the number or go online, you have to activate it? You can't use it otherwise. The moment she surrendered her heart, made herself available to everything that God was asking of her, was activated in her life. And suddenly the life of Christ was in her womb. The life of the Creator, the life of the Messiah, was living inside of her womb. I I want you to do me a favor this week. I want you to take some time by yourself And I want to just just think about the incarnation. What it is, what it means. And in light of some of the things that we shared, in light of your own life, think about the impossibilities in your life. Things that you're dealing with, thinking about, things that are happening that you feel you you have no capacity to, to make them, to guarantee that they're going to turn out the way that you want them to turn out. Ask the Lord. Remember the Holy Spirit who's in you to show you how the incarnation way back then touches your circumstance now. Spend some time with him. Just meditating on that reality and that truth. Because everything that Jesus did in the earth, he did on the truth and the reality and the miracle of the incarnation the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Ask the Lord to show you how the power of His incarnation can change impossible things in your life to possibilities. And choose to believe. As the Holy Spirit just gives you some of those inner sensings and understands your thoughts that you know aren't your thoughts about those circumstances, choose to believe. Choose to accept them. Choose to surrender. God, I, I believe that you're doing that or can do that in my life. Let your impossibilities become possible through the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I want to thank you for your word and I want to thank you for your people. And I want to thank you that it's true. The God that we serve, to you nothing is impossible. Nothing's outside of you. You truly are God. And Lord, that you graciously share all that you are with us as we seek you, follow hard after you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for any circumstance and things that they're dealing with in their lives. Whether it's external circumstances or if it's things taking place inside their own soul. But they feel absolutely powerless, helpless, hopeless even. To be able to change or fix or make it work out properly. God, encourage their heart today with your word. Help them to refocus their attention off of themselves, off of the circumstance and to fix their eyes on you on the person of Jesus Christ. And and as they put their attention on you, would you open up inside of them new possibilities? Open inside of them a fresh wind of your presence. Open inside of them hope and a faith that this thing can change. I don't know how, but I know with my God, everything is possible. And then, Lord, move. Move into there and invade their space. And make your glory known and seen and experienced to them. Father, we can never thank you enough for the incarnation of Christ. Sending your son to earth. We celebrate this week, but I pray that not just this week. I pray that that reality is alive inside of us and that we celebrate it every day of our lives. That Jesus came out of love for us and we've received his life and we live with his life in us and we live this life for him. So God bless your people today. Seal your word inside of every heart. And I pray you dismiss us with joy and peace and love and Encourage to walk, boldness to walk this calling that you've placed on us, this high privilege, with all of our strength and might. Dismiss us with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord. If you can be here Friday night, I encourage you to come as we gather around the communion table.